We are in part 32 of Revelation, and we are wrapping everything up as we move forward. Today, we're only doing five verses, right? Now, that does not sound like a lot, but it will fill the time. Five verses that we have to slow down to understand. Five verses that perhaps are the most heavy five verses that you would have studied all year. So we're going to camp on it a little bit. And lest anyone think that I'm going to manipulate them at the end of this message, let me show my cards early. I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior at the end of today's message. I'm going to ask you to come up here, up front, kneel at the altar, and we're going to have people that will be standing up here to pray with you. Pastor Mark will be here. I will be here. You will not be alone. But I'm, while a song is played, everyone's going to be watching. You come up here if you want to receive Jesus Christ for the first time and begin your life with him. Why? Because the passage we're about to study demands a response. We cannot move past this without all of us being on the same page. I am not willing, as God said of himself, that any should perish. You mean too much to Christ. He died for you. You cannot leave this place without engaging with his love, his grace, his mercy and forgiveness. So I will present that to you at the end, something to consider. Let's take a look at the handout sheet. We were all built, human beings were built for a purpose by a designer. Therefore, if the designer has built us for something, at some point in time, we must give an account for whether or not we adhered to that purpose or not. Does that make sense? That's about as logical as you can say it. Another way to say it, a more emotional way to say it, is at some point you've got to own up to God for who you are and what you have done. How do we know that? The book of Revelation lays it out. Jesus talked about it over and over and over that at the end of time, at the end of your life, it says it is appointed once for a man to die and after this the judgment. That we would stand before and answer for every thought, deed, action, motive. And John begins to see this displayed as a drama before him. To see all people stand before the throne of God and answer for who they are and what they have done. Today's message might mess with your mind a little bit if you have not considered these issues. To others of you, you're going to walk in and say, I've heard this a million times. Please do not shut it off because God may be speaking to you. Let's go ahead and begin in Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It's page uh, 878. The Bible's handed to you. And the handout sheet in front of you is a very simple phrase, but it's something that you must deal with. One day, all mankind will stand before God. Very simply that. One day, all mankind will stand before God. Last week when we were together, we realized that Jesus had put down all of his enemies. You remember that? There was a great city that stood opposed to God. God had it wiped out. There was the Antichrist, this great world leader that standing opposed to Christ. He had a right-hand man who could do miracles, known as the false prophet. Both of them were defeated and thrown into the lake of fire. 
Satan was bound for a thousand years, then released, and then cast into the lake of fire. Every one of God's enemies have been shut down and removed. The only ones left are God's creation of mankind. So what then will he do with us? Who gets to go with him? And who must depart? That is the great white throne judgment that we have today. Let's go ahead and just read these five verses together. Revelation chapter 20, verse 11. It begins like this. John said, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. Earth and sky fled from his presence, and there was no place for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Another book was opened, which is the book of life. The dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. The sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, the seriousness and the weight of this message is extraordinary. Praise you. Father, that your one and only Son came down here to provide us a way to be with you forever. That our sins could fall away from us and be no more. To be remembered no more. That you would extend grace and mercy and love unending upon us. And God, as we see this mighty vision of standing before the exact perfect standard and feeling so ashamed and so wicked, oh God, give us the hope and vision that upon our books is stamped paid in full with the blood of Jesus Christ. Save us today in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's go through this. John says, Then I saw a great white throne. Now, as I mentioned before, the word throne is used 36 times at least in the book of Revelation. It is all over the place. Everything seems to be talking about throne. Who's in charge? Well, this seems to be a different throne than the throne that John first saw. Did you know that there are seven significant throne room scenes in the book of Revelation? First time John sees a throne, there is someone sitting in unapproachable light. That seems to be God the Father. Before the throne is the Lamb, the Son of God. And the blazing lamp stands, perhaps the Holy Spirit. But now this is a different throne. It's not the throne with the emerald circle or the rainbow arc around it. This is a different throne. It's mighty. It's great. It's awe-inspiring for sure. But this one's white. What does white mean in Revelation? But purity, righteousness, holiness. Whoever sits upon this throne is the ultimate example of righteousness and purity. So who is it? John describes him like this. And him who is seated on it. All right. That was not helpful. So who's sitting on the throne? 
I want you to turn with me to John chapter 5, verse 16. It's page 754. The Gospel of John, so you're going to go back in your Bibles to the left, obviously. You can't go right. We're at the end. Go back left. It goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. So you're going to hit John right there in the middle of that. Find John chapter 5, verse 16, page 754. Jesus had something to say about this very day. Almost every other time when we see someone sitting on the throne, it refers to the father. Is the father here on the great white throne or is it the son? Well, Jesus told us. John 5, 16, Jesus had just healed a man on the Sabbath and it started this story. So because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, my father is always at work to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Pause. If anyone ever tells you that Jesus never claimed to be God, they're ignorant. In a Jewish sense, he could not have been more clear. Of course Jesus claimed to be God. That's why they killed him. There was no other reason to kill him but blasphemy that he claimed to be God. So sure enough, we move on. Jesus gave them this answer. Go to verse 21. He said, just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the father judges no one but has entrusted all judgment to the son. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. I tell you the truth. Whoever hears my word and believes, believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. How do you get saved? That's a peace. He has crossed over from death to life. I tell you the truth, the time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Do not be amazed at this, for a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear. And my judgment is just, for I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. There in one small passage do we see Jesus addressing this very scenario of revelation. Who did he say is on the throne? Himself, Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, Jesus talked an awful lot about what this day would be like. Turn with me to Matthew 25, 31. Back up from John, three more books. Back to the left. To Matthew, chapter 25, page 702, verse 31. Page 702. Does anything bother you about the last passage I read? What was the defining reason for those who would go to life and those that would go to death? What did he say? He said, those who have done good 
will what? Rise to live. Those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Does that bother anybody? Huh. Let's take a look at Matthew 25. When the Son of Man, Jesus said, speaking of himself, in other words, when I come in my glory and all the angels with me, I will sit on my throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people from one another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. And the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry. Understand, this is his reasoning. Why are they welcomed in? This is the reason. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when do we do that? Skip to verse 40. The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for the least of these brothers of mine, you have done for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you who are cursed. Into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. Verse 46. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. What is the reason that they are brought in? Or denied. It was what they did. Boy, this is where we begin to get very uncomfortable. Do we not believe that we are saved by grace through faith? Hmm. Then why does Jesus, every time he talks about who's getting in and who's not, he keeps talking about works? Is he preaching a message of we are saved by our works? That would be in direct contradiction to what Paul teaches. That doesn't make sense. I want you to hold on to that thought as we continue. In Revelation, John said, I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. And earth and sky fled from his presence. There was no place for them. Now, is that just a symbolic way of saying God's really big and everybody was freaked out and the unholy creation now that it had been tainted by sin had to run away. Maybe. Or we just saw the end of the world. Just like that. You go, wait a second. Whoa, whoa, whoa. let's not make too much out of this. Okay, so it's fled from his presence. It is very possible that is a descriptor of the end of our world. That it's all going to be melted and burned up and done away with. Why in the world would I think that? Turn with me to 2 Peter. Keep going back to the left. 2 Peter. Told you we were going to be all over the place. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 10, page 861. See, five verses in Revelation is a loaded five verses. 2 Peter 3, 10, one of Jesus' closest friends on earth, the apostle Peter, wrote this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. Is that not what we just saw? The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. 
since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. That day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth, the home of righteousness. That's revelation. It's what we just read. It is very likely that what we just saw is as Jesus takes his place on the great white throne to judge all of mankind after he has put down his enemies, then the world will be wiped out, burned away, and we start a new life. But before we begin that new life, we need to know who's going to live there. So there is some business to take care of. Do you understand that after this week... Everything starts getting glorious in Revelation. We begin to start talking about heaven and glory and joy and freedom. No more tears, no more pain. These are the discussions we will have week after week as we finish this book. But there's a very significant day that must come first. And that is this day. John says in verse 12 of Revelation 20, And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. Who are these people? Well, we have options, yeah? Of course we have options. I'm teaching. It could be only the wicked. Why? Well, some people believe that in the millennial kingdom, when Jesus kind of beat up all the bad guys and kind of got his reign started, that it was at that time that all the righteous were raised back to life. If that's the case, then these people are just now being raised, so maybe it's only the wicked that will be judged. Perhaps. Or, because of the phrases like all people great and small, standing before the throne, he brings out the book of life, I would suggest to you that, quite frankly, it's everybody. Do you believe that there will be a day that you will stand before God, everyone? Remember the famous evangelism explosion question right when you stand before god and he asks you why should i let you into heaven what are you going to say what will be your reasoning well that's a question we all have to wrestle with right well that day's going to come it's not just a hypothetical it's a literal all right so they're all standing before the throne i believe all of them and it says and books were opened do you understand that's plural Put a little S on there, right? Books are open. What are those books? I don't know. We've got to kind of guess. Because he keeps saying that you're going to be judged according to what's written in those books, I think we have a pretty good guess. I think we have two choices. Either it's a listing of the sins of mankind, or every one of us has an individual book. Brings out a stack. Boom. There's the books. Ah, the book of Christine, the book of John, the book of Mark, the book of Rick, Stephanie. And these books are slid out. What then have you done? You are my creation. I created you for a reason. Let's go take a look at how you handled that. And he cracks open the book. And everything you've done in word, thought, or deed is written down. Does that make anybody nervous? 
I don't want you reading my book. I already feel bad enough about myself. I don't need you all to see that. Unfortunately, historically, most pastors have stopped there. They would say things like, are you ready to have everybody see your life, your personal life? I don't think that's what the Bible teaches, especially not for believers. The Bible says that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It said that he died on the cross for sin once for all. It said that he casts our transgressions and iniquities as far away as the east is from the west and they will be remembered no more. I wonder if he's going to come to a believer's book. And it seems to look a lot like Jesus's life. Really? You died on the cross? That's awesome. Good job. I did. Well, it says right here you did. Well, Jesus did. Oh, you must have traded your life with him. Oh, okay. I got it. For those that do not have the cleansing of Jesus Christ, what's written in that book? You want to play the justice game? Is that what you want to do? You want what's fair? You're a good person, right? You sure? The book is opened up. And little by little, it's examined. It'd be one thing if I'm the one that opened it. Man, if I opened your book, you're golden. Don't even worry about it. Because everything I see, I can equate to my life and where I've screwed up. And I'm going to let you off the hook. I'll just let you know right now. Nothing I'm going to see in your book is going to make me judge you or make me cast you away. Because you're talking to another fallible human being who's just as screwed up as you are. Problem is, who's holding the book? Jesus Christ, the perfect sinless standard. Now don't you feel wretched. Now with his piercing, blazing eyes, he begins to look through. What have you done with what I gave you? You were made in my image and my likeness. You were made to glorify me. You have rejected me. You do not want anything to do with me. Oh, you're the boss of your life. Well, guess what? You've made all your own decisions and guess what they have led? Depart from me. I don't know anything about you. You never got to know me. You never got to engage with me. You had nothing to do with me. And you didn't care. Well, guess what? You needed to. Because I'm the only thing that matters in your life. I make you be. Ah, what a horrible day for some. And I saw dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. That's really just like Daniel 7, chapter 10. I mean, chapter 7, verse 10. And another book was opened, which is the book of life. Ooh, we like that book. That's a good book. If you're in that book, this is a good day. You're not in that book, bad day. What's the book of life? As a matter of fact, that's kind of a concept that all the Old Testament guys knew. I mean, Moses referred to the book of life. I mean, you start going way back. Everybody seemed to know that there was some ledger of the saved up in heaven where God would write down the names of those that he would take home with him. And we all argue about how you get your name in the book. Did you put your name? Did Jesus write your name? Blah, 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 blah. Calvinist, blah, blah. We all argue, right? Doesn't matter. Are you, you want to be in the book? All right. I want you in the book. I think God wants you in the book. And regardless of however it works, get in the book. 
You may find out it had nothing to do with you. Today, it has everything to do with you. Every time in the Bible, it just lays it out. Repent. Turn this thing around. Walk my direction. Believe in who I am. Confess that I am Lord. Make it so. We're walking together. Follow me now. Here we go. We have some decisions to make, right? In this book, it covers over the other books, right? The book of your life, the book of life goes right over and Jesus' name is scrolled all over your stuff. Paid, freed, absolute mercy. These are stamped all over your book. As Jesus died on the cross, his blood cleansed you from all your sin, past, present, and future. As a child of God, when you fell down before him and surrendered your life. So if that's really the case and we're all done with decision making, what's the judgment about? What are we judging? Okay, let's say Christians. Let's say there are believers here at this judgment. What is the judgment going to be for believers? Because clearly you already have Jesus' stuff. You're already cleansed, you're already righteous, you're already going to heaven, so what are you going to get judged on? What you did? What do you mean what I did? Well, we're not talking about salvation anymore, we're talking about reward. So what did you do with what I gave you? I empowered you to speak forth the word of God like no one else. I gave you a specific gift to share the word of God in an alive and an active way to your neighbors. What did you do with that? Well, God, I, uh, what are you talking about? I didn't, I didn't know I had that gift. Did you ever try? Well, no. Okay, what are we doing here? Okay, I saved you so that we could do some great stuff together. Why are we not doing any great stuff together? Well, God, I, I mean, I wish you'd been a little bit more clear on what my gift was, because I don't really know what my gift is, and so I just kind of hung out at home. Really, you mean like the guy who buried... His talent, out of fear, you don't want to be that guy. All right, so what'd you do? Well, um, I went to the church and I played bunko. Oh, well, there you go. Excellent. Here's a crown. Okay, do you understand? The idea is that we are heading towards a place where Jesus is going to say, Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have done this with what I gave you. Nice job. Right on. Let's do this. Let's go. And we move forward with him into eternity. The judgment for believers is a good thing. What's the judgment for bad guys? Oh, we all just get thrown in the lake of fire, right? All right. What if I told you that that may not be completely the whole truth? Well, let's take a look at the passage. Another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. All right, we can merely say, in this book, you trusted Jesus. In this book, you rejected Jesus. We could call it that simple. But is it possible there are degrees of punishment in hell? Eee, that's weird. Wait a second, we all seem to have no problem accepting there are degrees of reward in heaven, but we don't seem to like the degrees of punishment in hell. Well, some of us like that. Oh, it sounds much more just. So that way, the super, super bad guy, the Hitler guy, 
He's going to get it way worse than, than me who just was apathetic towards Jesus. In some senses, they're the same. Because where's your eternal destination? Lake of Fire. Lake of Fire is still pretty hot, I think. It's still a miserable place. You're eternally separated from God. But is there level of torment that is added to it? There seems to be. Why? Turn with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 20. Matthew eleven twenty, page 689, sorry. 689. But did you notice that, again, the, ju- the dead were judged according to what they had done? This is about the fifth time we've heard that, that you will be judged according to your works. This should start twist, be twisting somebody's theology around here. I thought works didn't matter. Oh, they matter. They matter a lot. Let's talk about degrees in hell first. Uh, Matthew eleven twenty. Then Jesus began to denounce, meaning speak bad about, the cities in which most of his miracles had been performed because they did not repent, meaning they had the obvious, the Messiah is here, and they rejected him. Woe to you, Chorazin, woe to you, Bethsaida, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be lifted to the skies... No, you will go down to the depths. If the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Sodom, it would have remained to this day. But I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom on the day of judgment than for you. What are these words of more or less if there's no degree? You go, well, you can't make an argument out of one passage. All right. Matthew twelve thirty-eight. the Pharisees are said because of the, the authority, they will be punished, what, more severely luke twelve forty seven. the wicked servant was beaten with many blows while the ignorant servant was beaten with few blows that seems to be more and less hebrews ten twenty six. how much more severely will a man be punished if he tramples the son of god underfoot is this all messing with our heads a little bit hmm. does it matter Kind of, if you're going there. I don't want you to go there. It says, the sea, in Revelation 20:13, the sea gave up the dead that were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead that were in them. And each person was judged according to what he had done. So the grave, the sea, where everybody thinks, oh, what about those people? What about those people? They're all shaken out. And all the dead stand before Jesus. And it says they were judged according to what they had done. Daryl Johnson wrote a book called Discipleship on the Edge about the book of Revelation. And he said this quote, deeds are more serious than we in the 20th century have ever thought. He went on to say, every deed emerges from some prior decision of faith. Why do deeds matter? Because they reveal what you really believe. 
Never before have we lived in such a screwed up world in saying we believe something and not living any of it. That's not possible. Jesus said it in a rather simplistic way. He said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I say? What does Lord mean? It means you're in charge of me. He said, don't you see how that doesn't work together? You cannot call me Lord and disobey me because they actually are contradictory. So either I'm your Lord and you need to get back in line or I'm not really your Lord at all. You're just calling me that. Because by definition, I would be in charge of you. Clearly, I'm not. What you do is a primary indicator of what you believe. If I told you right now, noxious gas is now filling the auditorium, it will kill you. If you believed me, you would do what? You'd get out of here. If you didn't believe me, you'd keep sitting there. Ah, now we have Christianity. Stop saying you believe something if there's no indicator in your life that you do. Do deeds matter? Yes. But are we saved on the works that we do? No. The Bible is very clear. Romans 3.20, no one will be declared righteous in the sight by observing the law. Ephesians 2.1, as for you, you were dead in your sins and transgressions. Like the rest, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. Even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. It is by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. For we are God's workmanship. Titus 3.3, he saved us not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. So that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. Then why all the talk about works? Praise God, James clarified it. James said, what good is it, brothers, if a man claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such a faith save him? What's the problem with having no works? You don't have a saving faith. That's the problem. It's merely an indicator. Oh, we say we believe so much. We live very little. If you begin to mark out everything you don't live out, what do you really believe? James said, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says, go, I wish you well, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs. What good is that? In the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. Even with Abraham, you see that a person is justified by what he does and not by faith alone. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. True saving faith changes your life. If your life is not changed, there is no true saving faith. That's the point. All right. So what are your indicators? It finishes up with this. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. 
The lake of fire is the second death. If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. I don't want anyone going there. Let me lay it out for you very simply. The gospel is this. Jesus Christ, who is God, came down here, was humiliated, tortured, and killed that we might live. He knows that we ruined it with our sin and our garbage and rebellion. He knew we were hurtling towards the pit of hell. And he was not okay with that. So he leapt out to take the hit on the cross. And all the full wrath of God hit him and he died so we may never die. He was buried. On the third day he rose again. He ascended to the right hand of the Father, and even now He is interceding for us that we might be free in all ways. If you are done being in charge and you know you need a Savior, today is your day. Jeremy, can you bring up the team? Here's what we're going to do they're going to play a song. During this song, I want you to get out of your seat if you've never received Christ before or you want to begin a brand new life with Jesus Christ today. This is not for all of you believers that are going, yeah, I am a jerk. Okay, we're clear on that. Go ahead and just keep seated and uh, ask Jesus for forgiveness. Right on, move on. I'm talking about this is for those that we're going to love on that need to be welcomed into the family today. They're going to play a song. You're going to get out of your seat and walk up here with us. Tim, they gave you the heads up. You're going to be up there with the team. We're going to have the prayer team up here right across the front. And they're going to pray a prayer with you to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And you are, by coming up here, saying, I'm done with my way. I turn away from that and I grab onto Jesus' garments and I say, save me. And that is where you will find forgiveness of all of your sin. The grace and mercy of God. And it's all going to be because of who He is, not because of who you are. You go, well, aren't I going to be embarrassed coming up there? Nope, you've got a whole room full of people that get it. There's no embarrassment. There's only love and encouragement. So, come on up.